Welcome to the Fabric Podcast, where we're talking about stuff that works. These are concepts that many of us have found rich and helpful over the last several years, so much so that we wanted to compile them into a group of conversations to give us each easy access to these tools. Here's Greg Meyer. It's good to see you today. I'm Greg. Um, you know, before we get going, I just need to acknowledge what's going on in the world right now. It's just such a tough time in so many quarters and now with the uh, fighting the war going on between Israel and the uh, Gaza Strip. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know, it's beyond my expertise to be here and say what should or shouldn't be happening. What I know is that there are too many people dying right now for it to be the right thing. And it's really important for all of us to find a way that we can, we live on this tiny little planet. It seems so big, but we live on this tiny little planet. We need to learn how to get along. You know, that's our only way forward, and it doesn't matter whether it's on territorial or resources or what, we got to figure out how to be together. So, um, you know, uh, nothing you can do, nothing I can do, but, but that doesn't mean that everything each one of us does doesn't matter. So how can we be about that? Um, also, it kind of makes me feel good about what I am wanting to talk about today, which may seem very far from that, but I think it's a, a basic building block to maybe what we need to do for the world to be a place where we don't have to have these kinds of conflicts, and we don't have to have this kind of fighting over yours and mine and stuff like that, and we can be one again. So, um, yeah, I mean, it might feel like kind of a big switch from heavy that to maybe a little bit lighter, talking about stuff that works, you know? Stuff that works. We've been talking about it for the last four weeks, stuff that works, and we're going to talk about it again today. Um, but the point is it does work, you know, right? It does work, and not only for us individually, but it can work for us communally, for us globally, it can work. So, you know, you have to extrapolate what it means maybe for my own personal life to what does it mean for us together, what does it mean for us as a society, a community, a nation, a world. Um, so one of the neat things about being part of a community like Fabric is that because there are no built-in expectations that we're supposed to be doing this and, you know, whatever, we get to experiment. We get to try stuff. We get to find ways of making all those things as any spiritual tradition is trying to make active in our lives. We get to experiment with ways to do it, you know, to make it happen for us. And um, every once in a while, we get lucky and we hit something that works, you know? And we try to hang on to those things, but we also try not to hold on to them too tightly, right? Because they're going to morph, they're going to change, they're going to need to adapt as well. So, um, so we've been doing that. Now, uh, all these weeks, if you've been around, they might seem kind of familiar to you. I hope they are, because we want them to be familiar to you. And that's why we go around it again, is to kind of reinforce it and look at it from another angle and dig it in a little bit deeper for us all. Um, if these aren't sounding familiar with you, uh, sounding familiar to you, well, I'm glad you're here and you're hearing it now, right? So it can be some stuff that works for you for the future. Um, so own it for yourselves. So we have been talking about these last four weeks, we talked about knots, we talked about buses, we talked about um, pipes, thank you. We talked about mirrors. If, if you have no idea, like, what? Go back and listen to the podcast, okay? Um, and today, we're going to talk about boxes, right? Because boxes are something that works, right? Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about boxes, so like, like this one. This is my box, okay? And... Um, uh, 
this is a box. What is it? You know, if you're listening on the podcast, it's a box about 16 by 16 by 14 or something like that. Um, this box is my God box. God is, I have God in this box. Okay, not really. I mean, right? Not God, really. But, but my understanding, like what I think of when I think of God, it's all in here. Okay? I have this God box. Actually, what I, I really should say, this is my, what, G-O-D box. You know, it, it, I don't know how you understand God or whatever. This, we use that word God to refer to it, but, you know, maybe it's the divine. Maybe it's the higher power. Maybe it's the meaning of the universe or the third strand or Yahweh or that which is or Taylor Swift. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't care, you know, how you know it, but, but, but that's, you know, everything that is in there about God. And I think it's really important to back off and not just call it a God box, but realize that other people have different ways, or even the word God, calling us a God box, could just be a, a miscue or turn some people away from ever thinking about it and digging into it. And, and so I'm pretty careful about throwing around the G-O-D word, um, including here, because, because of that, right? Um, it, it can be a problem for a lot of people. Why? A, a, there's a couple of very particular reasons that might drive some of you nuts when I do this, but... Um, some very particular reasons that are very important to me why I try to shake up that word God. And, well, two of them. One of them is just that the name God, the word God, isn't actually biblical. You say, what? I mean, it's plastered all over the Bible. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word is El, El or Elohim. In the New Testament, it's Greek, it's Theos. And both of those are titles referring to what God is. They're not God's name. We use it like a name. We talk to God, we use God like a name, and it's not. It's a title. The name of God is, in the Bible, probably most of you know, because I throw it around all the time, Yahweh. God is, in Exodus 3, I believe it's one of your Rome readings this week, Exodus 3, God reveals God's name and says it's Yahweh, which roughly translates, it's kind of one, it's fairly untranslatable, but basically it means I am who I am, which is very like abstract and what? You know, you're it's like refers to internal integrity and fullness and, you know, whatever God is, God truly is, and whatever God isn't, God truly is not it, you know, kind of thing, which is very different from the nice, neat, packaged way we often think of God. When the word God comes up, we have a boom image of a thing that's just right there, right then. So, yeah, so why? Um, why am I careful about the word God? One, it, it, it can be a real problem for some people. I mean, it's in, inadequate to really encapsulating what this box is trying to hold, trying to hold. The other reason is that the word God is really compromised because people have been referring to their God box as the God box, and it holds things that other people just cannot handle, cannot believe, cannot accept. A lot of people, when they hear God referred to, just like, nope, not interested. So I think it's important, at least for me as a spiritual leader, hopefully, um, that I'm sensitive to helping people understand, like, what is this? And that you do have one, and so on. So anyway, back to my God box. What, what's in here exactly? Well, I have all the ways that I think about God, all right? And all the stuff I associate with it. I have the name of God, like I've been talking about. I've got my kind of theology about God. I've got the language I use around God. I've got memories. I've got, 
ideas, the stuff that I was taught as a child, the stuff that I studied and learned. There's, and, and then there's the stuff like, how, you know, how I came about it. Like some of it I was taught or I just sort of experienced or whatever. I had some sort of maybe experience as a teen or an adult. Um, maybe just the rituals. Maybe it was, you know, Christmas and Easter and going to church and all that sort of stuff. Filled this God box with stuff. So there's stuff in here that um, I very, I know, was just handed to me culturally, just got passed along and got thrown into my box and was handed to me. There's stuff that I invented myself that I came up with that I chose and put in here. Um, then there's stuff that I am aware of, like I deliberate about it being in my God box. And there's stuff that just ended up in here. It's still influencing me. It's calling shots. It's telling me, like, when I think about God, what I'm thinking about and what's going on in all that, with all that stuff. But I'm really not aware of it at any conscious level. You know? And that can be kind of iffy since it's calling a lot of shots in my lives. Now, I don't know all of you all that well to say exactly what's in your God box, but I do know a couple things about every one of your God box. First of all, you have one. You say, well, no, I don't. I don't believe in God. No, that just means you have a God box full of stuff you don't believe. All right? I mean, face it. How can you not believe in something that you have no idea what it is or you have no imagination of what it might be? Then you just don't think about it. You know, the only way of not believing in God and saying I don't believe in God is to have a box full of stuff that you are rejecting, right? Yeah, you probably have heard me say this before, but um, when I get introduced to people for the first time, it's not unusual for the person to say to me, like, first thing, I don't believe in God, as if that's supposed to surprise me or supposed to stop an inconvenient conversation. <laughs> Good chance at that. Telling me you don't believe in God, it's sort of like saying, do you want ice cream? I mean, the answer is always, I'm going for this. I, so that doesn't work. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we all have a God box. So that's one thing we know. We've all got a God box. The other thing that I know about your God box, and I know about mine, is that your God box is too small, right? Your God box is too small. I mean, seriously, how do you think that this box could possibly hold all the stuff that it represents? I mean, it just, it just can't. I mean, we're talking about the stuff that is the secrets behind the particles that make up atoms and the expanses of billions of galaxies in this universe. We're talking about the magic of our imagination. We're talking about the wonder of our relationships. We're talking about uh, just anything you can imagine that is going on. The truth of the universe is in here. And you've got it in your box? Nice to meet you, God. You know, um, It's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. So... Now, you are got to think about what's all in there, right? It's changing. It needs to change. I mean, do you have... This, this is my God box from 30 years ago. This is my God box from... I'm not going to say, because then you'll know how old I am. No, this is my God box from 60 years ago. All right? I mean, it's been growing. And what do you think about my God box in another 10 years, in another 20 years, in another 30 years? I mean... I'm probably going to look back at this one and go, that was pretty funny, you know? So that's kind of one of the things we know. So the point of that is your God box, my God box, is not only too small, it always will be too small. Get over it, okay? It's all right. Your God box is always going to be inadequate. 
That doesn't mean there's not some really good stuff there. That doesn't mean you don't have the stuff in there that you need right now. But in the long run, it's going to be inadequate. There is a, a, um, a philosopher, 20th century philosopher named Ludwig Wittgenstein, and he said one, well, he said a lot of things that are amazing, but one of the things he said is, the limits of my language are the limits of my world. The limits of my language are the limits of my word. If I don't have ways to express it, I can't really deal with it. It's like your emotions. If you don't have language for your emotions you're feeling, you have a hard time identifying those emotions, which means you have a hard time controlling them. And they have a tendency then just to control you. And that doesn't turn out so well. The same thing with your God box. And I would say it's not only your words, but it's your imagination. I, I would even, you know, I would give you another version of Wittgenstein saying and say, the limits of my imagination are the limits of my world. What, what do you imagine in here? So that shows the two sides of us, right? The two sides of those limits. This is the bottom limit. If I don't have words, if I don't have any imagination for it, I'm not going to see it. But then the other thing is my imagination that I do have, the language I do have, is also limiting my ability to think of, talk about, imagine God, right? It's the floor and the ceiling of our box is our words, our language, our imaginations. Your words are vehicles to help you express what you grasp about the third strand, another way of thinking about God that we use here with fabric a lot. But also, your words are prisons that limit your understanding of that third strand. Yeah. They're vehicles to get you there, but they also cap you off. They also stop you. Um, interestingly, the Ancient Hebrews, the Old Testament, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not have any graven images. You know, don't make idols, basically. Don't try to write. Why was that? Why was that? Well, they live in a culture where everybody had idols. And they, the, the Israelites laughed at everybody's idols, thinking, seriously? I read the book of Jeremiah sometime. There's just so much, and the people just laughing at the fact that you carved that thing and you put it in there, and now you worship it? That's silly, right? Um, so it's not like... If you do it, God's going to punish you for it. But by making something so concrete, you're going to make a God box that can't get changed anymore. Keep it fluid. The same thing, the name of God, Yahweh, right? I am who I am, uh, is in the Bible all over the place. Anywhere where you see the name the Lord in the Hebrew, it says Yahweh, which is a name, not a title. Um, and... Hebrews, the Hebrew people, and Jewish people today don't want to say that name. You're not supposed to say it. So they did a little interesting trick. Wherever the name Yahweh shows up in the Bible, they change the vowels around so, and use the vowels for Adonai, which means like important one, you know, a kind of the earthly sort of a lord, a person with influence and so on, so that when readers would get to that, they would know, oh, don't say Yahweh by mistake, just say Adonai, right, or the Lord, all right? Um, why? They weren't going to get punished if they said it wrong. You know, some people say, well, you're going to, you're going to die if you say it No, they didn't think they are going to die if they said the name of Yahweh. They just said, Yahweh is so big, so ineffable that I don't even want to say the name. Why? Because that's a reminder that it's I am who I am. It's just so big. I, I don't want to try to contain it. I don't want to try to make it too small. I want to keep it moldable. I want to keep it open. I want to keep it surprising me. I want to keep it alive and moving and living because we have such a tendency just to make it static, just to make it fit in the box that 
this one was a lot easier to carry. I can stick it in my pocket, you know, right? It's convenient. It serves me better, but it serves me very poorly. So we need um, good metaphors. We need good images. We need good words to express what is in our God boxes, and they can trap us in our God boxes as well in ways that, you know, don't really serve us to be able to weave the kind of lives that we need to weave in this world. But the fact remains, you have a God box, right? You have one, and um, if you want to take this three-stranded life seriously, then weaving your true self with others and all things and whatever it is in your God box, right? You need to have something there. Um, but uh, the question is then, how, if I do have to have one, and it's always too small, it's always inadequate, how do I help it grow, right? How do I help it grow? And that's kind of what we're about as a community. I want to share a, a couple of ideas. And the first thing I would say about your God box is use it, don't live in it, okay? Use it, don't live in it. When it comes to God boxes, rent, don't buy, you know? I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. Or um, uh, how do they say, oh, you know, I, I kind of think of, you know, hermit crabs, when their shell is too small, they, they ditch it, right? That's, that's what you need to do. When your God box is too small, ditch it. Or um, cowboys, I think, said it a little less delicately. Um, the old mantra from the cowboy days was, if your horse is dead, dismount, you know? Um, when your God box isn't working, or part of your God box isn't working, get it out of there, right? It makes room for something new. It, it pulls in something exciting and wonderful. One of the things that we do as people, and it's very helpful in a lot of ways, is what is called anthropomorphism, right? Anthropomorphism. That literally means human-shaped. We use human, we do that with all sorts of non-human things in order to be able to kind of understand what's going on. And what it is, is what we, we put our human ideas like, what would I do, what would I feel, what would I be thinking if I was in this situation to a bird or to a tree or something like that, right? Um, and, well, we do it because it kind of helps us identify and understand and maybe even empathize with the things or care about things that don't have our experiences. And it's just natural. It just seems to come out of us. You saw a lot of this. Well, we see it all over the place. We do it constantly. But one of my favorite examples was during COVID when we were hearing about all, and still are hearing about all the mutations of the COVID-19 virus. And, you know, you'd hear even scientists talking about saying things like, well, the COVID-19 virus you know, wants to find ways to get past your immune system. So it makes changes and adaptations to its outside structure so that your antibodies can't attach to it anymore. You know, or things like it, it knows that if it makes you, your, the virus knows if it makes you too sick, then you're going to isolate at home and you're not going to infect other people and it won't be able to spread its, its DNA anymore, you know? So it tries to get you not too sick so you'll still be out there and you'll pass it along and it'll be able to reproduce and thrive. So we have this picture of uh, viruses like that. No, they're not like that. They're just like this. Go to that next one. Boom. They're just molecules. Well, more than molecules. They're single cells, right? They don't think anything. They don't want to do anything. They're just billions and billions of out there reproducing really, really fast. And when they do, there's mistakes made in their genetic code all the time. And there are millions of mistakes and millions of mutations. And every once in a while, a couple of those mutations actually help. 
They make it, you know, be able to bypass your antibodies a little bit better than the ones before, or make you, you know, not as sick, and so you do go out there and you spread it more often and so on. And that was just a lucky thing that happened, and so that one, that variation, that mutation does survive better. It reproduces itself better, and so there are more of them, and that one takes over. I mean, they aren't bad, evil COVID-19, you know, virus trying to figure out how they can get past our immune systems. They're just things doing it. That's anthropomorphism going at it. You know, um, saying that this happy field of sunflowers here, pop that next slide, that they're all lifting up their smiling faces towards us. No, they're just heliotropic. They turn with the sun. They're all looking that way. And who would want to take a picture? In fact, I tried to find a picture of well, for a field of sunflowers. I got like 5,000 of them. I tried to find a picture of sunflowers from behind so that they're all facing away. It doesn't exist. We don't want to see that, right? Because we're anthropomorphic. We want to look, have them looking at us, right? No, you know, it, it's wonderful. So anthropomorphism, like saying that that's this wonderful field of sunflowers shining their beautiful faces at us, it's poetically rich. It's technically flawed, all right? Be careful when you do it with God. Right? We, we can't think about God without putting some of our human attributes on God. But that's not necessarily how it works, right? So, in the opening chapter of the Bible, this poetic description of how creation happened, right? Um, we have Elohim creating humankind, and it says, and well, let me, let me read it so I get it right. Then Elohim, God, said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Right? Now, the two important things there. One is, um, there is something, it doesn't mean we look like God, right? No. But there's something in that third strand. There's something in the nature of God and what God is about, whatever God represents, that is also present in us. And that's pretty amazing, right? That's where we connect. That's, that's pretty amazing. The other thing it says is that we were created in God's image. God was not created in our image, all right? We need to get that straight. We were created in God's image. We, God was not created in ours. And we reverse that all the time. We work really hard at creating God in our image. Anthropomorphism is making God in our image, and we've done it a lot. To say that there is not a popular societal image of God that is prevalent and is in all of our God boxes, no matter how hard we fight it, is just plain foolish. And if it was true that there isn't, how come when I Googled God, I found pictures like this? Pretty cool guy, huh? um, Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that they're wrong necessarily, but yeah, it's God box, right? And it's funny, white males, hmm, any correlation there? Yeah, nah, probably not. That's just coincidence. You know, the popular cultural image of God has probably not a lot more... Um, real, true, authentic connection with what God is as the Easter Bunny has with Easter. Which I know is a little harsh and a little unfair to the Easter Bunny. Um, but that's just something we'll have to realize. Okay, so I'm getting a little judgy there, which brings me to the next thing, if we want to grow our God boxes, and that is don't judge your or someone else's God box. Don't judge your or someone else's God box. 
It's so easy and so tempting. Yeah, theirs isn't perfect, and neither is yours, and that's okay. Like I said, it's never going to be God boxes don't get perfect. They're trying to sum up, they're trying to hold something that is beyond our comprehension, and we just need to keep trying it, and that's going to be okay. Keep trying it and keep making it bigger. But you're trying to... You're, you're trying to sum up. You're trying to hold something that is so big that even saying it is so big is probably a, a misrepresentation, all right? So, okay, so the fact is that if we are to grow our God boxes, then there are going to be times when they are going to be smaller and less developed, different from what they are right now. And they, they need to be. I mean, you can't blame your kid for going through adolescence, Right? I mean, by accepting your adolescent's behavior, you're not saying that this is the way all people should always be, but you're saying you're at a place right now that you need to be at to get where you're going to be next, and that's okay. I mean, you want to help them be there. You want to help them go through there. You also want to help them not stay there. So, you know, my God box has changed, hopefully grown over the years, and hopefully it's going to continue to. And kind of like I said before, I'm frankly a little bit embarrassed about my God box at different stages of my life, but I can also see why I needed to explore that, why I needed that in my God box. I needed to work with that to figure out, you know, well, I had to mess with it to see what I really did mean, what um, was going to be there. And I, I assume that when I get further down in life, I'm going to look back at the God box that I'm working with right now and say, well, that was pretty good for a, you know, for a whippersnapper like you, you know, but let's keep growing. Uh, the takeaway is this. Fighting over whose God box is the best is fruitless. It doesn't mean that there aren't better, there aren't healthier God boxes out there. It just means we have to get there. It means it isn't, you know, a fight. It isn't I'm right and you're wrong kind of thing. What we need to do is to learn from each other. And here's what I would say about this. When it comes to this part of our lives, comparison is not a medicine. Comparison is a disease, right? Comparison of our God boxes is not a medicine. It, it isn't helping. It isn't going to fix it. No, it, it's a disease. So, you know, don't compare. Explore. Be curious. I mean, if you really think this person's God box needs some updating, don't correct them. That's going to work really well if you try, but explore it with them. Let them articulate. You might find that while things change for them or not, you might find that your God box gets shaped a lot because you're doing it. After all, I think, you know, no matter what part of it you're talking about, probably one of the most significant ways of growing your own God box is by sharing it with others, which I'll get to in just a minute. But, but people's God boxes are going to be different than yours. Sometimes just because that's where they are in their development of their life, their spiritual life, their human life. Sometimes it's because maybe their God box was formed by hurt and not by a healthy experience around these religious spiritual things. Or some people come from a culture that is so foreign to your experience that you just, you have no idea what the stuff in their God box actually means and what it represents. I mean, I lived in Papua New Guinea for seven years among people who had, you know, their first uh, exposure to the Western world in the 1960s and the 1970s. Boy, did that, did that teach me some humility about assuming you understand what some, what's in somebody else's God box and actually a lot of excitement about discovering of different ways of understanding and talking about and living with it all. Um, but it's all kind of messy. So the, I guess the thing is, when your God box is challenged, and it could be a really fundamental thing about what you thought was true about the world, what you thought was the right way to be in relationship to other people or to the world or a right way to be thinking about God, when that happens, it might feel like the earth is crumbling around you. It can feel so threatening 
but the earth isn't crumbling. It's just your God box, right? It can change. It can crumble a little bit. It maybe needs to crumble a little bit so that you'll build something a little bit better next time. So there, there are two ways of living with your God box. Living with, not living in, right? One is, let's see, imagine I, I walked into my God box and I'm exploring it. There's one way I can go to the outer edge of my God box and I can turn and gaze inward and go, wow, that is so cool. You know, I really have this nailed. I love this. Um, I, I'm going to just reinforce it. Stuff that doesn't, you know, I have experiences that don't quite fit. Well, I'll find a way to rationalize it or, or just maybe ignore it. Or those people that keep, like, challenging it, I'm just not going to spend time with them because I like my God box. That's one way of doing it, all right? The other way is you can walk to the outer wall of your God box, the outer wall right here, and instead of turning and facing inward, I can turn and face outward. And say, hmm, all right, so I've got all this here. This is all cool. What else? Maybe cut a hole here. Make a window. Look out beyond it. What's out there? Maybe knock down a wall. Time for renovations. Time for something new. Thinking of that of exciting, something, possibility. Um, so what is the purpose of that God box? To be a healthier person? To have your life more deeply woven? To be a better part? Play your part of the world? I, frankly, I think that is one of the main reasons, main purposes of our community fabric. We're here to lovingly and gently, but sometimes persistently and even a little bit jarringly, to mess with each other's God boxes, right? Knowing that we came here with maybe something pretty good or maybe something really yucky or messy or what, but, and we're continuing to help each other and support each other and care for each other as we adjust those and bring them up to date and, and keep cutting windows even when we get a really nice one, you know, all put together. Um, so the purpose of your God box, it isn't to contain God, but it's a platform for which to see what's next. Platform from which to step off, to launch. And, and that's not only in, like, well, the name I use for God or, you know, how, how I imagine it and visualize it, but it might be for, like, well, how do I understand prayer? What is the role of the Bible? How do I use the Bible? I mean, that, those are things in your God box that need to continue to grow. Maybe it's how you understand your purpose in the world, how you find fulfillment, how. Uh, you are going to live in relationship with other people, especially people that you would rather not get along with or spend much time with. Uh, maybe how you think about your priorities and what's really important in life and what you're going to seek after. I mean, that stuff is in here. At least the links to it, they're all in here. Some of the reasons for realizing it's a platform. So to um, grow your God box, don't judge it, but just quickly, first of all, try it. Go, explore it. What's in here? Does it make sense? To look, when they look at the world, does that stuff make sense? Then test it. Like, try it out. Say, well, this is my God box, and my friend here is going through a disaster in his life, so I'm going to go sit down and talk to him, and I'm going to use my God box to be present. That doesn't mean I'm going to preach. It doesn't mean I'm going to be all religious or something, but just it's going to help me be the person I need to be. Did it work? I mean, is it helpful? I mean, or do I feel like, wow, ooh, that... My, what I wanted to be, what I thought was in here, just didn't match up the reality of the situation I just walked into. 
Yeah. Um, so test it. The, la- the last thing I say is share it. Don't hide it. Share it. Like, share your God box with other people. That doesn't mean just lecture them on what's all in here, but, you know, talk to other people about what you see, how you see yourself in the world, and what you see that third strand to look like. If you're in a group, this is a great place. to. What a great, safe place to start exploring that and laugh with each other. And we all have dumb stuff in our God boxes. That's okay. We all have some really amazing insights and ideas in there, too, that would be great to hear from each other. But like I said before, that probably one of the best ways to develop and figure out what's in this God box is by sh- trying to articulate, trying to share with other people what you have in, in yours. When I, when I have to put words around that and I have to express it, all of a sudden it's, well, that part is really pretty cool. That's pretty exciting. That part sounded really pretty dumb. Or uh, how, how come I really couldn't find any arguments? It just, it was in there, but now that I actually think about it, you know, and I try to say something about it, it doesn't sound so compelling anymore. So, so um, when you share your God blocks, one of the things you really discover then is where are the flaws and where are the strengths of it? And just two little things. Don't, don't hide from your God box's flaws. It's okay. We've all got them. You're, whether it's, you know, how you understand heaven and hell, uh, how you understand the will of God, uh, what sin is, Christianity's place among world religions, the purpose of rituals and traditions, Bible verses, all of it. Um, yeah, the, you've got flaws in there. And you want to find them. Don't be embarrassed about them. Don't hide them. Don't run away from them. They are your cue that this is an area to work on. This is an area ripe for improvement. That's going to just give, give you some great renovations in this God box that you have, okay? And the other, on the other side of it, you've got some strengths. Don't get too attached to your strengths because they're really strong right now and they're, they're your way forward in some strong areas right now, but you're going you're gonna to cruise right on by them, all right? They're going to lead you to something else, and that's good. You know, you, you find this cool... Um, uh, uh, caterpillar in your garden and so this is really neat this is a really cool um, caterpillar I love this and so then you put it in the bottle with the leaves and stuff like that and all of a sudden it turns into a chrysalis or a cocoon what I, I thought I had a caterpillar no it's turned into something else and then you get used to oh great I got this cool chrysalis and then it hatches and it's a moth or a butterfly and I said, oh what what I thought I had a caterpillar cocoon butterfly and then the butterfly flies away I mean, that's how your God boxes are. Don't be afraid of the flaws. Don't hold on to your strengths too much. It's all part of some pretty amazing stuff. So why do I care about this so much? Why is this such an important thing for us as a, as a community to dig into? You know, it, this isn't just a fun philosophical, theological game. This isn't a luxury. Our God boxes are forming how we choose to be present in this world, what, what we decide, who we want to be in the world, how we want to be in the world. Like I said, you know, with the situation that's going on in the Gaza Strip and what's happening, you know, with Israel uh, in so many other places, uh, th- it's a God box issue. And I don't, by that, I don't mean this is a religious war. I, it isn't a religious war. It's about something much bigger, much deeper than that. This is about understanding of people's feeling threatened by others. It's, a, it's about power. It's about stuff that we need a bigger vision of ourselves and the world in order to be one, to be part of something, to be part of each other, not apart from each other. It's a God box stuff. 
It matters. It changes who you will be at work, with your family, at school, as a person who wants to have integrity, who wants to get you into your life and say, I've got regrets, but I grew through every one of them. That's why this stuff is important. My hope, and this is my prayer with you right now, is that each one of us would begin to just glimpse the height and the depth and the width of this love of God. Because when we do that, especially when we do that together, we are able to be about, we are able to accomplish so much more than we have ever been able to ask or imagine. We as individuals need that. We need that in our families. We need that in our workplaces. We need that in our communities. We need that in our world. So keep upgrading. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for more connection in your life, stay up to date with what's going on with Fabric and find resources to help you in your conversations and reflection at fabricmpls.com or searching Fabric MPLS on social media. Let us know if there are conversations you're longing to start or resources you're longing for to help you live a life more deeply woven.